You've been around the CPG e-commerce. Are you saying I'm old? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I'm saying I'm old, but that's okay. <laughs> it's it's for the experience. It's I have, not about I'm seasoned. Is that what you're saying? Seasoned. There we I go. I feel like that is Like a rotisserie more... chicken. I'm seasoned. This is good. Thanks, Emma. <laughs> okay, you got it. Hello, and welcome back to the Commerce Collective Podcast by Flywheel. Today's guest is one of a kind, a CPG legend. So let me cut in and talk about myself. Hi, my name is Emma Irwin, host of this podcast, and I'm a senior editor and specialist at Flywheel Digital. Okay, now that that's out there, back to our guest who in this episode is going to cover Flywheel's partnership acceleration team and from his role, what he's seeing that is defining the e-commerce landscape as we know it. All right, let's meet him. Hi, I'm Peter V.S. Bond. I am Partnership Acceleration Lead here at Flywheel Digital. And my responsibility is to work strategically across all of the portfolio solutions that Flywheel has to offer and help accelerate the growth of some strategic partner clients of ours. And our guest isn't just the Partnership Acceleration Lead at Flywheel. He's also a podcast host of what might be the most esteemed podcast in the entire industry of CPG, retail, e-commerce, the whole world. So esteemed that I actually used it as a decision factor when I got the job offer for Flywheel because the then Flywheel CEO had done an episode which told me that Flywheel was a real player if it was featured on the CPG Guys podcast. Long story short, let's have Peter tell us a little bit more about this. I founded three years ago with my best friend, Shree, an industry B2B podcast called The CPG Guys, where we explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in a digitally driven world. We're very happy we've published over 300 episodes, closing in on a million downloads. And we're currently ranked by Feedspot as the number one CPG podcast in the industry, which brings me to another point, Emma. I am so pleased to learn that Commerce Collective now finds itself in Feedspot's top 10 e-commerce podcasts. What a great, great honor. I'm so excited for you. It's unreal. It's really cool to see what we've been able to build. And it's just a little bit different than those other e-commerce podcasts. Exactly. It's got a, a, its own twist to it. And I think if you are a CPG brand or someone who's interested particularly in retail media, The Commerce Collective is exactly a podcast that should be on your listening rotation. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, question we ask everyone. What is the last thing you purchased from Amazon? I purchased actually a new phone cover for my iPhone. That was And you even got it branded with CPG guys. I did. And I've got a QR code so that I can just say to people here, you want to learn about it? That's actually really smart. Isn't that nice? And it's a silicone cover. So it's not like a hard cover. So I like that because my daughter's always wanting to grab it. I have to entertain her in the car. I give her my iPhone and invariably she drops it. She's four and a half. And I needed something that was relatively shock resistant. So I'm 25 and I drop my phone at least once a day and need something shock resistant. So I understand. And with that, let's get into the meat of this episode. First up, Flywheel's Partnership Acceleration Team. What is that? Have you heard of it? Do you want to know more? Let's have Peter tell us more. Yeah, so Partnership Acceleration as a team started to emerge at the beginning of the year. I think that Flywheel is getting a message back from some of its biggest clients, its most important clients that, listen, you guys are really great in your functional areas of doing exactly what we've asked you to do, 
but we're looking for a little more. We want you to be more strategic and have broader oversight to all of the different capabilities. And so part and parcel with that is the recognition that Flywheel needs to be thinking at a more strategic level so that we can be of meaningful counsel to digital digital officers at companies, heads of, of e-commerce, of digital commerce, any of those kinds of roles. And the best way to do that is to put someone in, not to replace any of the current engagements, but to supplement that with someone who has more of a broad vision of everything that Flywheel does and can offer that kind of expert counsel to help our clients grow even more than they are. So we want to accelerate our partner's growth. Hence, partnership acceleration. Hey, <laughs> and I think, you know, your team is really set up for success in that matter because all of our clients, like sometimes there is a head or director of e-com, but that's not always like the top person that we're communicating with. It can be a CMO, sometimes for the smaller brands, it's like a CEO, people from all kinds of different backgrounds, and you guys can adapt really readily to whatever they need. Yeah, and I think we're acting as somewhat of a model for how Flywheel will go forward. So yeah. the experience that we generate through partnership acceleration will ultimately flow out into the broader organization as we bring all of these disparate brands and capabilities together. First and foremost, as we are launching Flywheel Commerce Cloud as our new single point of interaction from a platform perspective, and all of this kind of dovetails, new one unified brand, one unified platform, and really having partnership acceleration lead the way in creating that single point of strategic contact where where our clients can really turn to for counsel and guidance and ultimately activation. Perfect. And with that, I wanted to take some time to dig into what you're seeing from some of the most significant e-commerce brands that we work with, but also like in your role with CPG guys, you talk to leaders of um, the largest CPG brands, but like we're in Q4, a lot of planning going into next year and then looking at 2024. What are some of those like recurring key points that you're seeing in discussions that you're having with these big brands? So on the retail side, it's obviously the massive expansion of retail media platforms. I think at last count, there were over 600 retail media platforms in the United States alone, not to mention the rest of the world. And it's easy to understand why so many retailers want to get involved in that. If you're a Let's look at a grocery retailer. If you've been operating for 100 plus years on a net 2% margin, and suddenly you're presented with an opportunity to gross 40, 50, 60%, you can imagine that every CEO is looking at their digital lead and saying, why are we not in retail media? So that, there's that aspect. But on the brand side, the question is, one, how do I manage this? How do I make a decision where to invest? And that that drives a lot of concern. If you look at some of the conversations that CEOs have been having with the analyst community, particularly through the Consumer Analyst Group of New York, they have a big conference down in Florida every February. This year was the first year that I heard probably five of the 30 CPG CEOs come out and in their presentation make mention of the fact that they are materially adjusting their marketing budget to accommodate all of the demands coming from these big retail media platforms. A retail media platform is like Amazon ads, Walmart Connect, Roundell by Target, Kroger Precision Marketing, all of these. And that growth is primarily because of the incredible transformation that's going on in media overall. Retail media is media. It's not anything different. But 
when linear TV is waning because so many people are cutting the cord, they're getting out of the business. They're not buying, uh, pardon, they're not watching linear television. Yeah, they watch the Super Bowl, that's once a year. Coupled with the fact that print media is on such a decline, right? Nobody gets a Sunday newspaper anymore. I read the New York Times on my iPad. I don't get FSIs in the mail anymore. If, for those of you who don't know, FSI is a freestanding insert. So those are the little coupons you get. With those mechanisms for creating broad upper funnel awareness from an advertising perspective, they're looking for other mechanisms. That's where retail media comes in, right? So everybody's trying to say, okay, well, how do I do that? And how can I be assured that the precision marketing that I'm investing in, the promise of retail media being able to, to leverage all this longitudinal purchasing behavior of consumers to create targetable audiences and then deliver media to them, that that's actually having a meaningful effect, that it's actually pushing the needle, that it's driving incrementality or return on investment, ROI. So a lot of them are very focused on, is the ROI that retailer A is calculating for me the same as retailer B, and how can I, how can I compare apples to apples? So there's a lot of desire but there's a lot of hesitancy on, I'm not going to go all in on investing until that happens. So for the most part, other than very large retailers with mature retail media platforms, Amazon ads, Kroger Precision Marketing, Walmart Connect, for the most part, most of those other tertiary retail media networks, for the most part, the funding that is, that's going into those networks on the part of manufacturers, primarily coming out of trade or co-op funds, right? So it's funds that they would have used for running promotions on the frequent shopper program and the retailer's circular end caps, other types of, of traditional brick and mortar, they're just shifting it over. And the retailers, the promise of this platform is that's nice, but they really want to attract the brand dollars that had been investing in linear television, in print advertising and FSIs and what have you. So there's a lot of talk right now around creating standard metrics, standard approaches to measurement so that manufacturers can be comfortable in the fact that if I do it at retailer A and I do it at retail B and retailer C, the measurement of the performance is going to be the same process and therefore I can effectively judge how each of these platforms can be. So I think there's a desire on both sides both the advertiser and the platforms to do that. So that's one of the biggest things. This is probably an elementary question, but I'm curious, say client comes to you and I'm going to combine everything you just said. And they're like, hey, we're looking at shifting media dollars into maybe some of the smaller North American retailer, retail media platforms or more so internationally. Like, how would you go about thinking about that? That's a great question. I would first and foremost start by doing an opportunity assessment. How are you doing in terms of your market share at, at those retailers? Look at the brick and mortar business versus whatever you're doing in e-commerce. And I would basically just create a gap analysis to say, where is the greatest opportunity? So I would, I would be less focused on on it being an absolute of either invest in APAC or invest on the small. I would say, listen, you may have a huge opportunity at Mercado Libre in, in South America, but you also have a great opportunity at Hy-Vee in the, uh, the Midwest. So let me know what your budgets are, and we will provide you with a roadmap to what is the most judicious, lowest cost per click, but ultimately driving the highest return 
across the importance of those portfolios. Like there are a lot of retailers, I was talking with a manufacturer the other day, China's a huge opportunity, but the fact is that they don't manage China. It's all through export markets. So it's not of interest to them to invest against that. But guess what? Australia is something that they're highly interested in. So coming back to them and saying, here are the retail media platforms that are available in Australia has a tremendous value to them. So you have to understand very much, not only the markets that they can plan, but also how what is the go-to-market strategy of your client? Once you have that roadmap, then you can provide them judicious counsel. So let's recap here. What Peter is seeing is that brands are really trying to understand what's going on and what to do about it. With an emphasis on retail media, knowing how much to spend and where, and knowing how much to lean into international markets. And next up in this episode, hey, like what you're hearing? Uh, what is that? If you do, and you're currently not working with Flywheel or want to expand your partnership with us, ew, why is that playing here? It's the middle of the episode. What are you waiting for? For real. We talk a whole lot about KPIs that are defining the industry, but you want to know something? You want to know what one of my KPIs is? A mid-break commercial asking for lead generation to generate some leads or demand for Flywheel. What have we become out here? So help me, please. Maybe you can even come on the podcast too. To get connected with us, you can email me directly at emma.erwin at flywheeldigital.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can also email audit at flywheeldigital.com if you don't want to directly talk to me. Are you done? Hey now, I have impersonated Yoda on this podcast, yelled at our CEO in a atrocious Cockney accent. I've brushed my teeth into the microphone. I've recorded the sound of an opening box. I've slurped coffee into the microphone. I've impersonated a robotic voicemail. It's not crazy to insert an ad here. Expect the unexpected. Okay, let's not further lose them. Let's get back into the interview. And another one following up on going retail media specifically. But this is something that I've heard a couple times in some of my recent interviews is that when we talk about those large retail media platforms, Amazon, Walmart, Roundell, etc., people keep saying like, Retailers or manufacturers are used to shifting dollars from their trade budgets into those. And then it's always like left as something else is going to be happening when it comes to the smaller platforms to be investing in. Do you think that like there's some kind of major change when it comes to planning your media dollars and them not coming out of your trade budget? Yeah. So I think brand marketers are becoming more savvy and understanding of what the retail media platform offers. And I'll give you an example of that. Subscribe and save is a functional capability on Amazon and quite a number of other retailers. If I'm a brand manager and I can buy people out of the purchasing cycle by investing in subscribe and save, I sh for 5% of the sale and then I don't have to worry about advertising to them, I'll do that all day long. I would throw a lot of brand dollars at that. That is something that shouldn't be funded by the trade. That should be funded out of the brand. So. I think that as brands get more understanding of what those capabilities are, things like the brand store, that shouldn't be funded by the trade. That should be funded whole, you know, part and parcel by, by the brand organization because you're creating much, you're working much more upper funnel when you're talking about the brand store and our retailer. If someone gets to your PLP, gets to your product on a PLP, which is the product listing page, that's where you see all the different options or the product display page where you're getting the detail of the product. 
then they're already way down the funnel. They're already in the evaluation, the consideration phase, right? That's clearly a trade function, but anything that has to do with, with upper funnel and particularly stuff that's doing advertising offsite. So you're leveraging the audiences that the longitudinal purchasing behavior of that retailer allows you to say, find me people who are heavy consumers of diet colas and at least 40% of their share goes to Pepsi and 40% to Coke, right? So that's a nice sizable audience. Now I can use that audience through DSPs or demand side platforms to do digital advertising offsite. And I can do all sorts of other things. That, that to me is very much a brand function. It, because ultimately you're trying to, you're not reaching people in the decision phase when they're kind of close to the bottom of the funnel and they're gonna to get to convert. You're trying to get them to move into your brand and steal more share, or you're introducing a new product and you wanna find people who buy the category to a certain degree or buy adjacent categories and you wanna launch. So you have to be very focused on, on trying to create that upward funnel, whereas that is a brand function. And I think as brands start to understand that that can be substantially more effective than putting some glitzy bunch of people with a consumer display outside of Grand Central Station and hand out samples of beverages. Yeah, that makes for a really great photo op, but it's not nearly as effective as actually driving the needle and, and driving trial and then ultimately being able to measure the repeat conversion of, of that consumer. So brands are getting a lot more savvy. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that when e-commerce started on most of the manufacturer sides, they almost entirely started as centers of excellence. So it was a separate group of people that were working on e-commerce. And maybe it was just working on Amazon e-commerce. But over time, those organizations have started to rotate people in from field sales, from brand marketing, and they rotate in and they rotate out. And ultimately, I believe there's going to come a point where people will understand that retail media is media and digital advertising is advertising and those functions will become ingrained into the the functional responsibilities of people in those traditional units and so the center of excellence will i i believe at some point for most manufacturers cease to to need to exist it'll be much more about capabilities and identifying capabilities to then share out to the brand groups as hey here's a really interesting social media capability that you should think about around shoppable media here's a really but they're not going to be the ones that are driving most of the activation that's going to go back to the brands at some point that was a good explanation for people of varying levels of experience because when i hear trade budget i'm like okay I don't know what any of the other budgets are. So that was helpful in terms of understanding trade versus brand. But then you went to the people who don't need to be told that and what they can do after that. Perfect. Okay. I am curious in your role, if you've done any presentations recently about, could be about anything, but just anything that has really like sparked really great conversation with a client. Sure. The one that I've talked about that seems to drive the most level of interest is of course, wait for it, the bingo word of retail media and digital commerce and whatever, it's, it's AI, artificial yeah. intelligence. So the ability of machine learning to take what we do that's dull, dreary, repetitive, and ultimately scale it out and automate it to do things like create meaningful content. So probably the greatest example of that 
of recent was a couple of months ago uh, in Seattle at the Amazon Accelerate conference, Amazon announced to its sellers that they had enhanced their product listing page with an AI module that allowed you to source information from say a package flat. So that's the, the all the detail that appears on the outside of the package or from your, if you're a brand and you have your own direct to consumer website, it can take all of that content, absorb it into its engine, essentially spit out a Amazon optimized product display page. All the A1 plus, A plus content, the product description, the right images. The idea here is that it takes you from spending up from 100% of your time to get that that particular PDP set up to their automation will get you 95% of the way there. I don't think I saw so many people stand up in unison so quickly for a round of applause than when they introduced that. So when we start thinking about the ability and if, and if you are going to play in all these retail platforms, right? So you're yeah. playing on Schnooks, you're playing on Hy-Vee, you're playing on Meyer, you're playing on whatever, right? Your ability to try and understand and then modulate the content to win search, particularly SEO on site A versus site B versus site C. You don't want to hire an army of people and have them sit in house and do that. That's an enormous undertaking. Why not work with a managed service company like Flywheel who builds that expertise, right? Yep. And they enable that. So where AI is going to be able to scale out, not only just the creation of the content, that's kind of the SEO side, but then on the SEM, the search engine marketing side, right? What are the key search terms? And being it, how long does it take you to create all of those head search terms to do the analysis, bring that to the brand, then they have to run it through, well, what are the brand guidelines? What are the legal guidelines? And then spit it back out and say, okay, this works, this doesn't. Now, as long as you can program in, here's the comprehensive set of brand guidelines, here's a comprehensive set of legal guidelines. Now, in seconds, you can iterate and get to all the biddable search terms you want, right? And it doesn't take you three weeks to get there. It takes you three seconds to get there. That Amazon AI module would have saved me a lot of hours in my early days of this job. <laughs> a lot. It built character, but it would have saved a lot uh, yeah, of hours. I, listen, I think about all the things <laughs> I used to do and now I can do because of technology. This phone alone has transformed all of our lives in terms of our ability to bring knowledge to, to us at our fingertips no matter where we are. True that. Okay. Last two questions for you. So you've been around the CPG e-commerce. Are you saying I'm old? No. <laughs> okay, I'm saying I'm old, but that's okay. <laughs> it's it's for the experience. It's I have, not about I'm the seasoned. Is that what you're saying? Seasoned. There we I go. I feel like that is like a rotisserie more... chicken. I'm seasoned. This is good. Thanks, Emma. <laughs> okay, you got it. I'm curious to know what you're looking forward to in our industry. Let's say in like the next year or so, because so much can change in a year. Yeah, I think the for me the biggest promise is transforming search from being primarily a vertical experience to a horizontal experience and let me explain that please do a vertical experience is think about when you make your shopping list to go to a physical store and think of the perimeter as where you exist most of the time when you think of you need a specific product you dart into the aisles you dart vertically up or down the aisles if you're looking over top of the store and you've got that layout with the aisles going top to bottom right that to me is very vertical because you have an idea so how do you do search on sites like amazon 
when you enter, you're not really as much in a browsing mode as you are in a, I've got the thing that I want and I've got a basic search term that will get me there. And Amazon is really great at finding you the exact item that you're looking for and options for it. But it is primarily a business that is driven by eaches. What I mean by each is you go buy one item and Prime makes it easy for you to just say, add to basket, check out, boom, you're done, right? Do you go shopping at Amazon or any other online retailer to throw a 4th of July party? Or do you go to a physical retailer because Target's got a wonderful little 4th of July section that has all of the food, all of the accoutrement, the decorations, everything else, and it makes it very easy for you to shop that. Yeah. That is the problem with search right now. It is primarily a vertical approach. That's why things like Ask Instacart are very transformational or getting it to the point where I can sit there and say, not do you have this specific product? It's I've got a problem, I need your help. So the problem is I'm throwing a party on the 4th of July. That should then take, take action by understanding who I as a shopper am by what I mean is, what are the brands I like? What are the products I like? Do I have any food allergies? All of those kinds of things. And take that into account and then present me with options that are appropriate. Or maybe to ask me a series of other questions. Will you have a barbecue? Will you have that? And then boom, it spits out. And how many people? And then it spits out. Here is your shopping list. Add to basket. That will be massively transformation. Another example. I want to be able to take a picture of the inside of my refrigerator and then say to it, I'm, I've got someone coming over for dinner tonight, what can I cook, right? And it can look through what I have, and or it can do that. So that, that will be very transformational in how we fundamentally buy things. Now, there is, a, there is a watch out for retailers, and here's the watch out. So if every retailer tries to build out this capability, for it to be truly effective, I as a shopper have to to some degree train that retailer's virtual assistant on everything about me. Doesn't it make more sense for me to train my personal virtual assistant, Alexa, Siri, whoever it is, and let that entity do the shopping for me? So I think retailers may lose over time the direct connection to the consumer. So what they have to be concerned about is how do they build their platform into the virtual assistant of choice to the consumer so that they can be a credible set of solutions that when I tell Alexa, Alexa, I'm going to a Halloween party, it knows exactly what to get me and it knows where it should go and get that for me. Now that would be something. Exactly. So I think that to me is the promise of where AI in particular is going to take us into the future. And that wraps up this episode of the Commerce Collective podcast. We covered a lot. Well, Peter covered a lot, but I will take credit for asking questions that made us cover a lot of the defining elements of e-commerce. Retail media, we should be treated just as media, where to spend and how much to spend, AI and beyond. Thank you so much to Peter for hopping on. And if you live in outer space and don't listen to the CPG Guys podcast, what are you doing? Endless content for you to listen to with the advanced leaders of the CPG industry. But of course, you should always come back to the Commerce Collective podcast for every single episode ever. I've been your host, Emma Irwin, and we'll see you next time.